0: Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian.
1: Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys to persuasion and conflict resolution. This podcast is part of the American Negotiation Institute, where we do business consulting, training, and one-on-one coaching for people who want to communicate more confidently and persuasively. Check out our website to learn more. Negotiate Anything is sponsored by FreshBooks, a ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software for small business owners that saves you time and gets you paid faster. It's used by over 10 million people worldwide, and because you're a listener, you can try it out for free. To get your 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com slash negotiate and enter negotiate anything in the how did you hear about us section. I've put a link in the description for easy access. Our guest today is Laura Heck. Laura is a licensed marriage and family therapist, speaker and trainer, and certified Gottman therapist who specializes in working with couples who are stuck in a rut. She teaches couples tools to reinvent a new partnership, develop healthy habits, and reignite lost passion. Laura is a mom to a toddler, wife to a patient husband, and a lover of fitness... Health and wellness. I asked Laura to come onto the show today because the negotiations we have at home with our loved ones are the most important and oftentimes the most frustrating negotiations we're going to have. And in this episode, we talk about the keys to persuasion and conflict resolution at home, the parallels between relationships and business, and lastly, but most importantly, how you can tell if your patterns of domestic conflict resolution may lead to the end of your relationship given what's at stake, this might actually be the most important interview we've done. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Laura, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
0: I would love to. So my name is Laura Heck, and I reside in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm a couple therapist. So basically, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, but I practice exclusively with couples. And I'm doing something that's a little different from other therapists in that I work with my couples entirely through video conferencing. So I started off meeting with my couples in an office setting, and I've been doing that for, oh gosh, maybe about seven or eight years. And then I moved. I relocated from Seattle to Salt Lake City, Utah, and I maintained my license in Seattle. And many of my clients wanted to stick with me. And I don't know why, because, well, I think there's a lot of great therapists I could have referred to, but they wanted continuity. And so I just started working with them through video conferencing. And eventually I found that I didn't have a difference of feeling between the couples that I was working with one-on-one in the office and those that I was seeing at a distance. And so I just moved my entire practice online, which is really cool.
1: That is super cool. Yeah, I think you're the first therapist I've talked to that has an online practice
0: yeah it's pretty new I mean we're kind of moving into this technology I mean not kind of but sometimes feels like marriage and family therapy they're a little slow moving with technology and I'm just pushing the boundaries I'm just going for it and then in addition to working with couples I do webinars where I'm able to provide the same amount of coaching and information with it being more psychoeducational to couples all through video conferencing and then I also do like videos with activities that you can find online. My entire practice is literally online.
1: That is too cool. Yeah, living yeah. the dream.
0: It is the dream. The dream for me is to be in the south of France for a month and still be doing what I love. So and just travel. That's
1: perfect. So how'd yeah. you get into this?
0: Oh, you know, I think if you ask a lot of couple therapists, they all have A really great story, but I would say that my story is not that great in the sense that I didn't have something really traumatic happen to me, but what happened was I was reading an article one day, this must have been about 15, 12 years ago, reading an article and I came across this article about this gentleman named John Gottman and Julie Schwartz Gottman, their husband and wife, and they live in Seattle. And John is a researcher. And basically, the heart of what I walked away with is, here's this guy who can predict with 94% accuracy whether a couple will divorce or stay together. And that just absolutely blew my mind. I ripped the page out of the the magazine. I showed it to my husband. And he basically said, what are you going to do about it? And so I started stalking the Gottman's. Not really, but, you know, I just wanted to know what that was all about. And what came from it was that I needed to become a marriage and family therapist. I wanted to do what they were doing. I didn't want to predict the divorce with couples, but I wanted to work with couples. I had a passion. Once I exited grad school, I contacted the Gottman Institute, my idols, and I said, what kind of job do you have for me? And they said, sorry, no opening. And I was like, ah, no worries. I'll just come and work for you for free. I had such passion. I was hungry. I was a hungry, hungry young therapist. And then within probably a month or two, they hired me. I think I won them over with my energy.
1: That is too cool. Yeah. Yeah. The Gottman's research is powerful. So for any listeners out there who haven't learned about what the Gottmans are doing out in the Love Lab in Seattle, Mm -hmm. um, check that out. Oh, absolutely. I'm a psych nerd. That was my first academic love.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody's interested, the Gottman Institute is a wonderful blog that they're constantly putting information out on. There's really great YouTube videos. So it's just really great content.
1: Right. And one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on was because I saw your presentation at Google on YouTube. It was very good. So, listeners, if you are interested in learning more about it, check that out. And you have a lot of your information online, right?
0: I do. Thank you.
1: Perfect. Cool. And so... Earlier this year, I discovered that my listeners weren't who I thought they were (laughs) when I did a survey. The show used to be called Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. And then I discovered that only 35% of my listeners were entrepreneurs. (laughs) And so I said, Oh, wow, you need to tell me what we need to rename this show because Negotiation for Entrepreneurs isn't appropriate. And they chose a name I never would have thought of Negotiate Anything. And so okay. I realized it's the episodes that are kind of general in nature that seem to do really well, even as well as the like hardcore business topics. And so mm-hmm. I thought it would be great to have you on to talk about negotiation and dispute resolution within the your <laughs> so you're relationships. using
0: lawyer terms there, negotiation, dispute, resolution. Yes. I call it conflict management in my industry. Ah,
1: yes. Yeah. T- tell me about it.
0: Oh boy. Well, you know, in my world, every couple has conflict. And if you don't have conflict, that's a load of crap. Pardon my French. But, you know, every couple has conflict. And it really is about how you manage that conflict that predicts the success of the relationship. So having those conflict management skills, the skills to negotiate, the skills to listen to your partner. Now that's really important. And so I bring my sort of the lens that I look through is all through the research of Dr. John Gottman of how can we get couples to have conversations with one another that don't escalate, where they are able to communicate with one another, where they they can feel heard, and where they can actually come up with a solution. So that's really kind of the basis of how I work with couples. And man, I would say that the way that I work with couples is skill building, so we build the skills so that you're able to have those conversations with partners. But then I also give them a blueprint of how to have a conversation, step by step by step, the questions that you ask, the things that you do, so that they have the skills and they have the know-how. And that's how that works in my field.
1: I love it. And, you know, this ties in really well with emotional intelligence, because one of the things that they say in emotional intelligence is not that your goal is to stifle the emotions or ultimately quell them. It's recognizing that regardless, they're going to be there and you need to manage them and not try to control it. And so I guess that the semantics there are important because you were talking about conflict management.
0: Exactly. And part of it, too, is that I don't think a lot of people realize that, at least within couples therapy, every problem that you come into with your partner, you're not going to solve every single problem. Actually, what we ended up finding out is that through research, 100% of your problems that you were encountering with your partner, only 69% of those problems, those are your perpetual problems, meaning they're going to come back year after year after year. And it's really an interesting story because John Gottman, when he was doing the Love Lab, he would bring couples in through these. Every few years, he would have couples come back in. So he would have them have a conflict conversation. And he said, you just pick a topic that you have unresolved. You continue to have conflict around it. And it didn't matter if he had asked this six years ago or if he's asking it today. He found that couples would choose the same topic, meaning that they were having perpetual conflict over the years. So that only leaves 31% of your problems that are solvable. And so that's an important distinction to make is whether or not you have a perpetual problem or a solvable problem, because the way in which you handle that is different. And when you talk about conflict management, it's not about solving the problem, it's about managing the problem.
1: This is revolutionary Mm -hmm. because when I was reading the book, I was blown away by some of the problems that were able to persist in a relationship while the relationship was still healthy. Because some of the people were having religious disagreements, disagreements of where the kids were going to go to school or which religion the kids were going to be when they grew up. I thought those were, you know, terminal illnesses. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's crazy.
1: You
0: know, in all of the years that I had been working as a therapist, I think I have found really two issues that I'm finding are kind of deal breakers in relationships. I personally think everything else can be managed, but the deal breakers are going to be one, a difference of religion. So it's an interesting thing because I'm here in Salt Lake, there's a large LDS community. And when one person leaves the church, that seems to be a deal breaker. It's a fundamental worldview shift that couples are finding they just can't get over. And the other one is whether or not to have a child. Those seem to be the only two that I'm coming across. Everything else can be managed. And if you think about it, when we sign up to live with our partner, to be with our partner for better, for worse, we're signing up for 69% of that difficulty. And it's really just about managing the difficulties and the discomfort that you're a very different human being than I am. And, you know, you're a morning person, I'm a night person. You're a messy, I'm a neat freak. You like to spend money, I like to save money. These are fundamental differences. So that's where the 69% of the conflict comes in, is these perpetual differences.
1: Right. And I want to say a disclaimer, too, because I know we have a wide variety of people in the audience. And so mm-hmm. there are going to be people who have significant others or plan on having a significant other at some point and they're going to say oh this is really helpful and there's yeah. some people that just hardcore business and are asking Kwame why are we talking about this but yeah. I think this is a great analogy to the business world because a lot of times when we have business relationships we are trying to solve every single problem and when we can't break through we think that this this must be the end of the business relationship but if people in marriages can break through some of these really, really difficult issues and the majority of the issues they don't end up solving. I think that's a really good sign for businesses knowing that when you're trying to collaborate or get a deal, you don't need to have everything perfectly aligned as long as you know how to manage it.
0: That's exactly it. And I actually work with companies. I consult for companies using the same seven principles that I use for couples With businesses and helping them to realize that any relationship that you have, whether it be with your child, your parent, your spouse, your business partner, your golf partner, it doesn't matter, you still have and need these skills in order to build really healthy relationships. And I think that these apply really wonderfully to business relationships as well.
1: Earlier, you said that you focus on two main things. You do skill building and you give them a blueprint. Can you talk a little bit about those skills that are important to this?
0: I would love to. Okay, so uh, there's really kind of a fundamental skill set that you want to have whenever you're entering into a conflict conversation. So if you're about to have a conversation where, you know, you may have a difference of opinion. There are some skills that I want to make sure that you are nailing so that this conversation goes as good as it possibly can go. So you're setting yourself up for success. The first skill is having a softened startup. And a softened startup is basically entering into that conversation as gently as possible so that your partner is open and receptive to hearing what you have to say. So if you have a complaint, if you have a problem, you want to be able to Bring that up in a gentle way where your partner is not on the defensive, but your partner is instead saying, huh, well, what's bothering you? How can I be interested? How can I help solve this problem? So a gentle startup has a specific formula, and I'm going to share it with you. So the formula is, I feel, so you're going to use your feeling word there, about what, which means that you're going to describe in as objective as a way as possible what's happening that's making you upset. And then I need, you're going to tell your partner what it is that you need from them in order to help solve that problem. So if I was upset with you, my husband, I'm going to pretend like you're my husband for a second. If I was upset with you, because when you get into bed, you undress and you leave all your clothes next to the bed. And it frustrates me because at the end of the week, you have a pile of clothes. You do this. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm, no, my wife wishes I'd do this. Her biggest pet peeve is me actually not just leaving it on the floor, but I if a door is open in the bedroom, I'll throw it over the door. And she's like, what? That is inexplicable. And I'm like, I don't know. It makes sense to me.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to use your wife's example because I'm going to help you out here. All right. So I'm your wife and I'm going to say, you know, honey, I'm feeling frustrated because I see the clothes that are hung over the door. And it's actually the last three weeks of clothing that's hung over the door. I can't even get in the room. And I would really appreciate it if we found a solution when you take your clothes off some other way where you can put your clothes. So I feel frustrated. I describe what I was seeing, but I was trying to do it in a very non-judgmental way. And then I was trying to find a solution tell you what I need and the thing that I like about this the third part of telling you what I need is that you're I was engaging you in helping to find the solution I wasn't just telling you what I wanted I want you to fold your clothes and put them away I want you to put them in the hamper what I said was I want to try and find a solution other than putting them over the door So now I'm engaging you in part of being part of the solution and that makes it a lot easier for you to swallow you're much more open to hearing that
1: absolutely And this is like the fundamental of uh, collaborative negotiation.
0: Fantastic. So that's the skill number one is that gentle startup. Skill number two is going to be what I call a repair. Now a repair, the best way that I can describe a repair, it's going to be any statement that you use that's going to get you back on track. So oftentimes when you're having a conflict conversation with someone, you might misstep. You might say something that pisses the other person off. You might find yourself getting defensive you might get angry and you say something that you don't mean. So a repair is a statement that you use to basically get the conversation back on track. I use the analogy that, or maybe it's a metaphor, you tell me. (laughs) It's been a while since I've been in school. But I have this car and it, it has a lane assist on it. So basically what happens is if I'm driving and I start to go over the line without using my blinker, my seat will vibrate on the side that I am going over, and it'll actually auto-correct the car back into the lane. These are like, it's a fancy new car. And that's a lot like what a repair statement is. It's an auto-correct back on track of what you're trying to do. Because oftentimes, we misstep a lot, and a repair needs to be made. And so that's the second step, is knowing when you've misstepped and making a repair. And it could be something like, you know, forgive me, I think I just misspoke, or Do you mind if I say that again in a different way? Or, boy, I'm starting to get defensive. Do you think you could rephrase that? So it's a lot of these minor repairs along the way to keep the conversation on track. That's brilliant. Yeah. So that's skill number two. And skill number three is knowing when you need to de-escalate. So oftentimes people get a little hot-headed and they get frustrated and they get angry in the midst of all of this. And it's about being really self-aware of yourself and knowing when you need to take a break and de-escalate. Now, one thing that we know is that our body is a really good indicator when we need to de-escalate. And the best indication is when your heart rate reaches up and over 100 beats per minute. We end up doing a lot internally. We go into this fight or flight mode. And to be really general, We end up releasing a lot of chemicals in our body, a lot of hormones that tell us that it's time to fight or it's time to flight. And unfortunately, that just doesn't work well when you're trying to have a very logical conversation and problem solve. So if you are recognizing that your body is giving you these cues, maybe you're sweating, maybe you are, a lot of people indicate that their chest starts to feel tight. I get hot like my face gets really hot, I sweat, a lot of people lose their voice, these are indications that you might need to take a break from the conversation. So the old saying of never go to bed angry, I say take a break, go to bed, wake up in the morning because you probably aren't going to be as frustrated as you were when you were having this conversation before. So being able to de-escalate, take a break, it's going to take about 20 to 25 minutes for your body to regulate and to come back to the conversation after that. And while you're doing that, you want to do something that's really relaxing. Go for a walk, clean your house, that's relaxing for me, probably for your wife as well. (laughs) Yeah, take all the clothes off the top of the door. So yeah. That's the third skill. And if you can master those three skills, then you're really setting yourself up for success in order to have a conversation where you're going to do some problem solving.
1: I like it. And when it comes to decompressing, if you are taking the time to um, Mm de-escalate, can you comment on the dangers of ruminating during that time? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. So you really want to change your thought process to something that's truly relaxing for you. So oftentimes when you're like, yes, finally, we get to take a break and then you go for a walk and you're sort of like formulating your rebuttal in your head, you're still getting yourself worked up and your body still thinks that you're in the process that you were just in. So You have to think about something. You have to shift gears. Think about something that's really, truly relaxing. Listen to some calming music. Think about puppy dogs and unicorns. Do something that's going to make you feel just better in general. And then you can come back to the conversation with a clear mind, which basically means you're going to be using your prefrontal cortex as opposed to your reptilian brain.
1: Absolutely. And when it comes to brooding, which is uh, kind of letting off steam, or we think it's letting off steam with uh, friends, it really just mm. often turns into uh, <laughs> just a, a slam fest where the emotions, instead of flushing out of your system, they just cycle and they get stronger. It's like a hurricane.
0: Exactly. Yeah, we really have an option. We have a choice, which is really nice because I think oftentimes we feel like we don't have a lot of control in the matter, but you really do. Your body will follow what your mind thinks. And so if you continue to have these conversations with friends, you go out for lunch and all of a sudden you're just kind of it's like a big spouse. You are throwing all of your spouses under the bus and you're talking about how horrible they are. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to be in that framework, that lens, looking for all the negatives as opposed to looking to the positives. So if it's really helpful during this break, try thinking about five qualities that you really love about your partner and turn your attention towards the positives. You can shift the lens in which you're wearing And if you enter into a problem-solving conversation or a conflict conversation and you're already wearing your rose-colored glasses, well, you're off to a good start.
1: Before we hear from our sponsors, I have an exciting announcement to make. Laura started her own podcast a couple months after we recorded this interview. So if you like what you're hearing today, make sure you check out her new show called Marriage Therapy Radio. But just make sure you finish listening to her here before you start listening to her on her own show. Definitely check it out when you get a chance. Before we finish up this episode, I have a few questions for you. Does your job do professional development training? Are you looking for a workshop for your next conference? Does your profession require effective communication or dispute resolution? If so, a negotiation training seminar might be what you need. I've had the opportunity to do these trainings around the country, and I'd love to swing by your neck of the woods. Our customized negotiation seminars are as fun as they are informative. You'll not only discover the keys to negotiation and persuasion, you'll also have the opportunity to practice these skills in a safe environment with a negotiation simulation. And at the end of the seminar, you'll be able to communicate confidently, resolve disputes effectively, and get what you want out of your next negotiation. And as an added bonus, if you let us know far enough in advance, we We can get these trainings certified for continuing education credits. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email to learn more. Here on Negotiate Anything, we teach you how to make difficult conversations easier. Our sponsor FreshBooks is all about making the dreaded, difficult, day-to-day admin and paperwork easier for small business owners. FreshBooks has devoted 14 years to transforming those feelings of dread into delight, and it's been working. They've been able to do this by creating a ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software program, and they've helped millions of people feel more organized, work smarter, and get paid faster. With FreshBooks, you can fire off an invoice in less than 30 seconds, you can set up online payments with two clicks, and even track expenses on the fly, and that is just a glimpse of what FreshBooks can do for you. As some someone who hates paperwork, I can tell you that FreshBooks is the go-to platform if you want to drastically minimize and simplify your paperwork. And I have some good news. FreshBooks is now offering an unrestricted free 30-day trial to all listeners of Negotiate Anything. And all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com negotiate and enter Negotiate Anything in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And now, back to the show. Can you tell us about Four Horsemen, briefly? Yeah.
0: Yeah. The Four Horsemen are basically these bad behaviors that come up in relationships and they're really tough because when they're present, they're not doing you any good. So there's criticism, which is basically taking something about your partner and making it like a character flaw. So it's not that you throw your clothes on the floor, it's now you're a slob. Do you see the difference between that? You have now globalized what your partner's doing and you've made it a character flaw about them. So criticism is a really tough one. And what naturally falls into criticism is what your partner does. So if you're feeling criticized, you're naturally going to defend yourself. I'm not a slob. Have you seen your closet? Have you seen your makeup spread out all over the countertop? You're the slob. Are you kidding me right now? So that's defensiveness. And that kind of goes hand in hand with criticism. And defensiveness is really just sort of feeling like you're under attack and you have to defend yourself. The third one is stonewalling. And stonewalling is an interesting one because it's really a way of sort of protecting yourself. So let's say that you're under attack, your partner's criticizing you, and you kind of go into this mode of, I need to protect myself, I'm just not going to say a word. So stonewalling is basically being present in the conversation, but showing absolutely nonverbal or even verbal skills, letting them know that you hear them. So you might have your arms crossed, your gaze might be down, and your partner's trying to get your attention, trying to talk to you, and all you're doing is just sitting there waiting until the storm passes. And that's really tough because that gives your partner the whole idea that you're not interested in what they have to say and oftentimes the other partner will escalate because you're stonewalling. And then the fourth one is actually the the most difficult to work with. It's called sort of the sulfuric acid on the relationship and that's contempt. And contempt comes into relationships oftentimes later in the relationship. But contempt is this feeling that you're just you're overall better. You're one up on your partner. You're better looking, you're smarter, you're more interesting. And that comes through in a lot of different critical statements. It comes through with sarcasm. It comes through in statements like, you're such a moron. Those really harsh statements that really say, boy, I really think that I'm better than you. And that's a hard place for couples to be in because that's sort of a deep-seated something that has come into the relationship over time.
1: Right. And so just to recap, we have Criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. Right. Yeah. And I think if we're relating this to the business world, I'm seeing criticism and defensiveness being the top two that we typically see. And then contempt. It's kind of hard to stonewall in a business relationship you can see it you know
0: yeah i think i would see stonewalling as being not returning somebody's voicemails not returning emails that's where i would see stonewalling coming through that in makes a professional sense relationship yeah Contempt, boy, you really try to hide your contempt in business relationships. You don't find yourself, you might say some things about somebody else behind their back. Like you might feel the contempt, but sometimes we have to be on our best behavior in professional relationships. Not at all when it comes to your significant other. Boy, we really let it all hang out with them. Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting to see the way that people engage in conflict within relationships versus outside of relationships. It's hard for me. I I do this for a living. I handle it in business easily. Well, now after practice, but when I come home, it's like, oh my gosh, this hurts. And then I just fall into addressing this just like a, you know, a normal person would, which is not yeah. the right way to do it. So
0: well, I think it's something stakes, we can all work with. Absolutely. The stakes are so much higher with those more intimate relationships. And you know, it's funny, my I won't give it away, but I'll just say that there have been business partners, co-owners of companies that have actually gone to couples therapy because they are interacting for all intents and purposes as a couple. They have to make decisions. and If they can't communicate with one another, they just decided, man, we, we need to see a therapist about this. And I thought that was really interesting that they realized that the intensity was so high, the stakes were so high with their relationship that they needed an outsider to help put them back in track.
1: Right. And one of the things that I want to do is kind of destigmatize the whole uh, idea of getting therapy. Of course, I'm a little bit biased uh, coming out of psychology as my base, but there's a stigma in, in uh, American society that when you go and you try to get help, there's something inside of you that's broken or weak, but it's, yeah. it's not the case.
0: That's exactly what I'm doing. Did you know that on average, couples wait Six years from the point where they first recognize there's a problem to when they actually seek professional help. And within those six years, that's where that contempt really comes in and that resentment builds. And when you have a problem and you're not processing that problem, you're not solving those problems, you're not managing the conflict, wow, it doesn't go away. It just builds. And after six years of waiting, what a fun job for that couple therapist to have of working with that couple. So that's actually my most profound purpose of being here and, and doing what I do as a couple therapist is I'm trying to intervene so much sooner and break down that stereotype of what a couple therapist is because as you can see, I mean, I'm, I put a dress on, but I would probably be working with my couples in like my athleisure wear and a backwards hat because <laughs> that's how I roll. And I try to use humor and I use very personal examples. I want to get to people in as convenient as a way as possible. So if it's difficult for you to find childcare, no problem. Go watch Disney for 50 minutes, and mom and dad are going to be in this room working with Laura on video conferencing. So I'm trying to break the stigma as well.
1: That's fantastic. And again, the corollaries are, are so clear because I think in business relationships too, we take too long to try and fix things. And that, right. and like you said, this is where the stonewalling would come in. It's like, well, maybe if I ignore it, <laughs> maybe it'll yeah. get better or go away. But yeah. um, that's it's just not a good response.
0: There's one thing to working with the conflict when it comes up. So when you see it, when you see something you don't like, say something. So, that's sort of one rule of thumb. You don't want to sit on things. You don't want to let them fester and grow. But at the same time, if you are already flooded, if you're already at a place where you're not at your best self to communicate, then maybe it's a good time to say, you know, I'd really like to talk to you about something. Do you think we could put something on the calendar for later this afternoon? So that you have that time to self soothe, get yourself prepared for that conversation. And the other person knows we're going to have a conversation that's important. So that's, a, that's actually probably another skill is making sure that your partner, the person you're going to communicate with about this problem, is ready and is in agreement that this is a good time. Because if you hit somebody at the wrong time, you're already starting off on the wrong shoe.
1: Absolutely. But, but. <laughs> yeah, and what would you suggest people do in order to prepare for these difficult conversations?
0: So I've mentioned one thing is it's really nice to get yourself in the right mindset of number one, put your rose colored glasses on. Be thinking about the the person you're talking to in the best way. So maybe think of five qualities that you really appreciate about this partner. You're already setting yourself up to be thinking positively about them. And I would say the second piece, and I kind of would go into this a little bit, is I would be seeking to understand the other person's point of view so i would really have it in my mind that it's not about me expressing my wants and desires it's about me understanding their wants and desires so you set yourself up to be the listener i'm just i'm here to listen i'm here to understand in a non defensive way and if you can understand the other person's point of view then you're then ready to start negotiating but i wouldn't negotiate until you fully understand the other person's point of view it's
1: brilliant that is oh, yeah. brilliant. I love it. Really? <laughs> I love it. And especially exactly. getting yourself in the positive mindset. That's huge because when you look at it that way, it changes the way that you interpret every behavior. And when you are in a negative mindset, it essentially creates a, a self fulfilling prophecy where no matter exactly. what, whatever they say, you're going to interpret it negatively.
0: Exactly.
1: I remember I was. My wife and I, we are very immature at times and we were watching this cartoon and, and this guy hated his neighbor. The neighbor said, hey, Frank, how are you doing? And then he's like, hey, how are you? And then he drives away and he's like, man, what a jerk. Can you believe that guy? <laughs> <laughs> no matter what you do, if somebody right. has a negative perspective, it's going to be taken uh, negatively. So I think that exactly. that is an underrated aspect of this.
0: For sure. And you really have control over it. So if you want this conversation, I think of it as like, if you really want what you want, if you're coming into a problem and you have a desired outcome in mind, then you have a whole lot of responsibility. You have a lot of control in how this conversation goes. And one of the ways is know that the person that you're communicating with They're not your adversary. They're your team member. You're both working on coming up with a solution. that's going to work for both of you. And if you're going to do that, it's best to look at your team member in the best way. You don't want to be fighting with your team member. You don't want to think negatively about your team member. You really want to think positive thoughts about them.
1: Couldn't agree more. Cool. And so before you go, I want you to challenge the audience. Um, Mm. What is one thing that they could do this week? to make them more persuasive with their
0: significant other. Okay, I have five things. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay, all right. The whole idea is, and I had mentioned this, that if you want to be more persuasive, you want your partner to be as engaged in the problem-solving process as possible. You want your partner to feel heard and understood. And in order to make them feel heard and understood, I have five questions that I want you to ask your partner. And so the first question is, If you have a problem that you're trying to solve and you're trying to understand your partner's point of view, the first question is, what does this mean to you? Tell me about what this means to you. The second question is, tell me why this is so important to you. The third question is, does this relate to your history or childhood experience in some way? I'm going to come back to that in just a second because I can see your brows. The fourth one is, is there a disaster scenario in this for you? And then the fifth one is, if you could have exactly what you wanted, what would it be? Okay, so let me go back to the third question. Does this relate to your childhood history in some way? So this is if you have a perpetual problem. And let's say it's something that you and I both feel very strongly about. This is if you have a gridlocked issue. Money tends to be an issue that people really get gridlocked on. And the interesting part about money is that it's never about money. It's always about something deeper. It's always about the meaning of money and what it means to each of you. And it almost never means the same thing. So for me, the meaning of money is security because of childhood past. I grew up single family parent home. We didn't have a lot of things. Oftentimes there were things that I wanted that I couldn't get. And so for me, if, if, if I was fighting with my partner and he said, does this relate to your childhood history in some way? Is there anything in your history that brings meaning to the context of your point of view? I would say, well, yeah. I mean, it really bothers me that we're spending so much money because we don't have a nest egg and that nest egg really means security to me because when I was growing up, I didn't know when my next meal was going to come i didn't know if i was going to be able to attend a function that all my friends were attending because there wasn't enough money so you're sharing background history it brings a lot more depth and meaning to what you're talking about and it allows your partner to have more empathy for you that's the third one and the fourth one is there a disaster scenario in this you want to know if you don't get what you want what do you think is going to happen what's the disaster scenario for you so those are the five questions, and if people were to enter into a conversation and they want to know their partner's point of view, those are five questions they can ask that will really draw them out and allow them to speak openly and clearly about what's in their heart.
1: This is so good. This good. is so good. Yeah, absolutely. And um, for the listeners out there just feverishly taking notes, um, I'll have a, <laughs> I'm will have. taking notes too, so I'll give you a, a guide based on that. So if you go to... AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash Laura, you can get that free guide. So cool. thank you so much for joining us you today. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, this has been fun. I'm glad to share what I love.
1: Yeah. And how can the listeners uh, keep up with you and, and, and reach out?
0: So probably the best way is to go to my website. It's www.forbetter.us and it's S-O-R us. And that's a website that I have where I'm able to do online coaching and videos and activities with couples. And it has a really wonderful set of free resources for couples if they're looking for them. Cool. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you finding this information helpful? If you are, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. I look at every single review and knowing that this content is helpful is what fuels my passion. Negotiate Anything is now the top ranked negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the nation. Thanks to awesome listeners like you. We are creeping up on 200,000 downloads and we have listeners in 140 countries. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued support. Lastly, if you haven't yet, please reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. Everyone who connects with me gets a personal message from me. Eventually, it takes time uh, because I've been getting a lot more. I think I have 200 new invites to go through, but I want to keep hearing from you because it's your feedback and suggestions that made the show what it is today. So keep those suggestions coming and LinkedIn is the best way to reach out to me. Thank you again for listening, and I will catch you in the next one.